This is All the Right Marketing, a publishing podcast by Cardinal Rule Press. On this episode, Maria is joined by a special panel to discuss disability awareness. This episode comes from a virtual conference that was originally recorded February 16th. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome. My name is Maria Desmondi, and we are so happy you are here today. We had over 150 classrooms and homeschool families sign up for this awareness event. And so what we are going to do is we are going to begin by having our panelists and our authors and illustrators introduce themselves. And I will begin with Annette Pimentel. Hi, I am so happy to be with you. I'm Annette Pimentel, and I'm coming to you from Moscow, Idaho. I write books about people that you've probably never heard of who did something that nudged the world in new directions. So my most recent book is Puras Cuentos about a Spanish-speaking librarian who changed the world of libraries. But what I want to talk about today is the 2020 book I wrote with Jennifer Keelan Chapins. It's called All the Way to the Top. Um, it tells the story of how Jennifer, when she was eight years old, along with other disability rights activists, climbed up the steps of the US Capitol. They were trying to show the world how difficult it is for people in wheelchairs to get places that they needed to go. And the resulting news coverage that focused on Jennifer, who was the youngest person who climbed, is what nudged Congress to, to finally pass the Americans with Disabilities Act. So our book tells Jennifer's story and invites readers to think about how we can make the world accessible to everyone. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Dr. Green, I'm going to have you go next. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Justine Green, and I was born with atresia and microtia, which affect the outer ear. So it is a visible disability. But when I cover my ear, cover my ears with my hair, it's actually an invisible disability. But I am hard of hearing. And when I was growing up, I always felt different because other people made me feel different. So I wrote my story, completely me, based on myself when I was five years old. And it tells a story about a little girl who's a, missing a piece of herself, but she doesn't know that anything is wrong until other people point it out. And she learns to stand up for herself and she teaches everyone a really important lesson about self-acceptance. And after that, I actually wrote two more stories one is about a little girl named Emmy with cerebral palsy. And what's great about these books is that each one is based on a real child with a real disability. And my stories use a lot of their own words to tell their story. So you're hearing these children pretty much explain what makes them different and why they're so special. And the last one that I've have published so far is Completely Mad. It's an ADHD story. And it helps you really connect to these characters and see that these are true stories. And that's what hopefully will help other people accept more friends. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Green. And I am just trying to figure out why the closed captioning is not working. So Kat, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your book. We are so happy you are here. 
Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, I am Kat Harrison. I am a writer who lives in Michigan, actually not far from Maria, which is fun. Um, I am disabled myself. I have a lot of conditions with very long names, um, but one of them you should know about is called oscillopsia, which means that my vision bounces all the time. So I see lots of tiny little people, but I actually see many more than that because the screen is bouncing. Um, I can't feel roller coasters. I can't feel elevators. Um, so lots of fun stuff there. I'm the author of two books. I primarily write about fierce characters who lives with some type of invisible disability. My first one is called Surgery on Sunday. Sunday is here. That is actually her name. And this book kind of details a surgery from beginning to end. I've had 14 surgeries myself. So it's a very, very common thing that I've experienced. And then my most recent release is called Migraine and Mia. Um, and it tells the story of Mia who lives with chronic migraine because I have had a migraine every day for 19 years. So have lo lots of experience in that, that arena. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Kat. And did you mention to our listeners whether or not um, having migraines is something that you can see or not see? I, I did not. So migraine is something you cannot see. Um, the only way you would be able to tell if I was having a migraine is sometimes I make weird facial expressions. Um, light can be really difficult for me. So oftentimes I close my eyes or I wear sunglasses inside. Um, and sometimes I have symptoms like I throw up or I get really sweaty. And those would be ways you could see a migraine, but you can never actually see that I'm having one on the outside. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. All right. So ladies and gentlemen, we are going to do something really out of the ordinary. And the reason we are going to do that is because today we're talking about awareness and accessibility. So what I'm going to have you do, don't get nervous. We're going to think outside of the box. We're all going to sign out of the meeting and sign back in because it's really important to me so that we have the closed captions. And I believe that's what the problem was. Um, so I'm going to see you in about 30 seconds. I will let everyone in. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for your patience and your flexibility. Excellent, everyone. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back. Okay, we have heard from Dr. I'm going to make sure everyone's muted. We have heard from Kat Harrison. We have heard from Annette Bay Pimentel. I would love to hear from Scott Magoon. And I'm Scott, make sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes, you did great. Scott Magoon. Yes, thank you. Hello, everybody. I am Scott Magoon. It's great to be here with you all. Thank you for joining in and rejoining. I'm glad to see we all kind of made it back. I am the illustrator of this book. Uh, along with about 30 other books, but I want to talk about this book today. It's called Rescue and Jessica, A Life-Changing Friendship, and it's been written by Jessica Kensky and Patrick Downs. Uh, it's a it's a, based on a real-life partnership. Uh, it's the story of Jessica, uh, who you can see she's a below-the-knee amputee whose life is turning out a little differently than she imagined, uh, until she meets Rescue, uh, a dog who thought he'd grow up to be a seeing-eye dog. It was the family business, after all. Uh, he gets the news that he's better suited as a service dog, and so he worries if he's up to the task of being a, um, of a, of a service dog. Readers get to see uh, prosthetic limbs, uh, Jessica walking with crutches, uh, and I also tried to represent sort of her unseen uh, psychological struggle in this book. Um, but the heart of the story, I think, is about uh, how we're better together uh, when we assist others and work together, a loving and lasting friendship uh, can be found. 
uh, we also wanted to demystify however we could uh, life lived with a disability a little bit uh, with this book. And um, I like to think that, you know, based on what we've heard about the book and the success of this book, that we achieved some, some modicum uh, of that. Absolutely. And Scott, we had someone in the comments say that their family loves the book. So they've already, um, you know, been introduced to it and heard its message. And for those of you tuning in, my name is Maria Desmondi. Thank you for your patience with us. I'm the publisher at Cardinal Rule Press. And you'll see that we don't have any representation from our publishing company here today. And that's something that we are striving to change. We feel that it is really important to um, be aware of so many differences in our world, whether it be with people or with food, there's, there's diversity and differences among us every single day. And so today we have these award-winning authors and illustrators to talk about how they're getting their messages in the world to make a difference so that we can learn to accept and include others. So we have one more talented, very talented, um, author with us, and I'm not seeing him on my screen. Bahram, are you here? Yes, yes, I'm here. Excellent. Please introduce yourself. And I will say that I um, was reading one um, one of his books to my own children and just fell in love with the message. Um, and that's how I was introduced to his work. Well, thank you so much for having me, and it's it's great honor to be here. So my name is Bahram Rahman. I'm the author of a Sky Blue Bench, uh, which is my second book, and, um, and it's about an Afghan girl who is returning back to school after um, recovering from a massive surgery. Um, and what it is, in, in a way, it is a when I was writing this book, I, I honestly didn't really think about like writing about someone with a disability. I wrote, wrote about one of my classmates and the events that happened in 1993. So and, and I'm so happy that people are seeing this person as a whole person and, and just the, the resilience of the individual and in, like in, at, at some very difficult times. Um, yeah, so this is a sky blue bench and I'm looking forward for questions and discussing the book. Fantastic. So we've gone through the introductions and most of you have told us a little bit about your book. One of the things I wanted to ask is if anyone would like to share their inspiration for writing the story. I know Kat Harrison had said that she really wanted people to understand what life felt like and what life looked like when having um, migraine headaches. And that was one of the reasons she was inspired to write her story. Um, Kat, do you have anything to add to that? Now, I think that you, you pretty much nailed it, Maria, but the way I wrote Migraine and Mia is it's all based in metaphors. So sometimes when people say things like I'm in pain, that can actually be really confusing and abstract and you might not actually know what that means. So let me show you one of my favorite illustrations from the book, oh, this is which great. is here, which has Mia in a helmet with a marching band inside her head and lightning bolts hitting the helmet. And that really, for me, was my inspiration to describe to people who have never had that type of pain, never had a migraine, to really like feel what it, what it might be like. So that's largely my inspiration. Wow, and you know what that's called? That's called empathy, Cat. So boys and girls tuning in, if you've never had a migraine, 
you are able to see that image and say, oh, a marching band in your brain. And that helps you to put yourself into the shoes of someone who has experienced a terrible migraine. Thank you, Kat. I think the illustration did a really great job of helping to promote empathy. Would any of our other authors, illustrators like to share an image from their book that kind of talks about um, you know, inspiration or really uh, helps to show what the disability feels like or um, anything with visuals, let's say. I, I want to share a page of the book and I think it's very important. And uh, what's interesting, so this is this page of the book. It's the first day that Arya is returning back to school and she is, she's brave, but at the same time, she's a bit nervous about it, and she doesn't really know how her classmates might react to her condition. Uh, and and I think this is what I felt like when when we returned back to school in 1993. So this is in Afghanistan. So it happened in Afghanistan a long time ago. Um, and uh, and when we went there and we had classmates that they came from different parts. They were mostly internally displaced individuals. Um, and the this kind of this anxiousness, nervousness of the first day of going back to school, especially a school that kind of doesn't have any chairs anymore. So you have to sit on the floor or it's just in the, everything was so new. And I really wanted to kind of put an emphasis on that. And it's kind of, you can see the solidarity of the friends too, kind of showing her, but at the same time, the nervousness and anxiety of Aria, um, which I have felt and I have talked with so many other children that they exactly feel the same thing. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So this really, um, the inspiration came from your own experience and a lot of the children in the classroom right now tuning in, I know your teachers talk about this uh, and they call it a, a, a small moment, something that actually happened in your life and turning that into a story. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I, always, so far at least, all my stories are inspired by real people, individuals in Afghanistan that I have met, mm -hmm. I have been friend with. Um, in some ways I create fictional characters because I put together bits and pieces of different people in one character, but they are, um, they're all from real people and I'm so proud and happy that I've, I've known those individuals. Now, I don't want to, um, you know, uh, spoil the ending of your book, but can we, can you please show the image at the end of the class and the bench because it brought me to tears. Um, Absolutely. So this is the end of the book. Uh, so after Arya struggles a lot uh, in, in her class room, and then she finds a way to build a bench for herself to ease her pain and make, make basically school days, fun days. Like. And then she gets so much help with, from her friends, from a local community builder, and uh, like a carpenter, and her mother, her brother. And then she is proudly just putting, I really love what Peggy Collins, my illustrator with, with the illustration, that she is so proud of it. And her leg, as you can see, her prosthetic leg is straight up there. And she is just in the middle with her friends and already thinking about other great things that she can do for her class and her classmates. And I think this is, 
I don't know. Yeah, I, it's my book, so I love it. So, and I Thank hope. Thank you. It, yeah. And you know, she is a problem solver. And um, Scott had mentioned at the beginning of our call, um, he had talked about the power of, um, he said something along the lines of, uh, we're stronger together, better together. And it really, um, there's a lot of community aspect in your book. So thank you. Um, Dr. Green, would you like to share a little bit about your inspiration or maybe a couple images from your book? Yes, I would love to. Um, so I explained that I grew up with a disability. Um, I actually had three reconstructive surgeries by the time I was nine years old. And one of the surgeries, they actually had to take cartilage and create a new ear for me and behind the, the deformed one. And so at one point, as this little eight-year-old girl, I had three ears as I was trying to go to school in between my surgeries. I will never forget there was a day on a playground, on the playground at school, and the wind came and blew my hair. And someone saw my ears and they pointed and screamed and ran away from me. I'll never forget that because it made me feel like I there was something wrong with me, that there was an issue, it was that I was scary, someone to be afraid of. And that really, that broke my heart. It's something I'll never forget. So one of the reasons I wrote this book is because I needed a book like this growing up. And if I could help one person feel better about themselves in their own skin, about the situation that they're in, it was all worth it. So one of the parts of my story that I like to show about a, a teachable moment is that this little boy is pointing. How do you think that makes her feel? Mm. How does it make her feel to, to be pointed at? And then at one point in my story, everyone is trying to help me by making me an ear, but I didn't ask for help. So you see they're trying to use Play-Doh and potatoes and orange slices and wood. But if you see, I actually didn't want their help. I found it all to be pretty mean. And I think that that's also important that not everybody needs help or wants help. So if it is in your heart that you would like to help someone, that first question is, would you like any help? Is there any way that I can help you? So that you put it onto the person making that decision rather than to kind of throw yourself like, I would feel better if I helped you. First and foremost, people with disabilities are people and it's up to them if they want your help. So I tried to put a few different aspects of these issues into my stories. Thank you so much. We are so happy to have your books in the world. You really are. Thank you. Um, Annette, can you share with us uh, maybe a story um, from your book, an example from your book? I'm looking for your face. There you are. I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Tell us a, a specific story and maybe show a couple illustrations from your book, please. Yeah, I would love to. So Jennifer faced physical barriers to being able to get around because she was in a wheelchair. Um, but those weren't the only barriers. And in some ways, those were the easiest barriers to get over. So she and I talked a lot about how to end the book because while the Americans with Disabilities Act has helped things, it hasn't solved all the problems. So this is the final page and it's showing how after the Americans with Disabilities Act, 
things like ramps started to be built into buildings. But we wrote this line in the book. Um, laws like the ADA don't change things overnight. Entrances have to be rebuilt, sidewalks redesigned, buses re-engineered. Slowest of all, minds have to change. And that was really important to her experience. She had a lot of experiences in school that we talk about in the book where there was no physical barrier to her participating, but it was people's attitudes that were the barrier. For example, when she went to kindergarten, kids wouldn't talk to her because she was in a wheelchair and she was perf perfectly able to talk to them. Um, there were silly school rules, like a time when she couldn't um, eat in the school lunchroom and her wheelchair could go into the school lunchroom, but just the rule was that it was because she was in a wheelchair, she couldn't eat lunch in there. So we decided that to start the book, I showed you the last page, and now I'm going to show you the first page, that we were going to show a picture of Jennifer that would show her doing something she really loved. She's, she was, as a young girl, and still is a horse rider. And so we started the book with her riding a horse because we wanted to make it clear that she is not just her wheelchair. And that's true with the disabilities that we all have, that the disability alone does not define us. But we have other things that we like and that are part of who we are. So Disability alone does not define us. Let me say that mm -hmm. one more time. The disability alone does not define us. You know, um, when we first started this call, I was asking our authors and illustrators, our, our very creative individuals, I said, what do you really want the, the listeners today to take away? And another thing someone had mentioned was how important it is to learn about each other. How important it is to ask questions and to get to know each other. We make assumptions and we might think things like, well, because she is in a wheelchair, she won't be able to play this game with me, so I won't ask her. How about asking and seeing what she really can do? Because we are making assumptions instead of really um, bringing awareness. And so I think it's important to get to know each other and to ask questions. And I thought that was really great. So we're going to kind of, um, dive a little deeper into the creative process because we have these amazing individuals here with us today. I would love to know a little bit about your process. Scott, maybe you can share with us um, a little bit about how you are able to use art and illustrations to um, you know, share feelings and emotions. And tell us a little bit about how you get your artwork um, from your brain to the paper. <laughs> Certainly, yeah, great question. Always happy to talk about uh you know, inspiration. Um, I mean, fortunately for, in my case, you know, illustrating this book for Patrick and Jessica and Rescue, their service dog, I had the most wonderful and cooperative and charming uh, and camera friendly uh, authors uh, from which to draw inspiration. Um, they couldn't have been more forthcoming, more welcoming and, uh, you know, happy to collaborate with me. Although I got to tell you this story, uh, when Jessica first learned that I was going to be illustrating this story for them, she was really concerned that I would have to move in with them and live with them to really, <laughs> to really get uh, their life down and, and kind of learn more about how they live their life, you know, uh, you know, once they had their prosthetics. Uh, but uh, fortunately, I assured them, I said, well, I, I would be happy to spend more time with you, but uh, we did not have to move in together. Um, we did have uh, some time to look at photos they had taken over the course of their uh, recovery. 
Uh, obviously, I had um, their prosthetic uh, limbs to reference when I was drawing them, although it was important to us to not get too mired in uh, what was then present day prosthetics. We knew that they would improve over time, that they would change over time. We wanted this book to be around for many years, and we didn't want this book to look dated uh, with the technology. Um, you know, and that went for everything, for the, you know, the crutches, the wheelchair, the prosthetic limbs. And so, it, you know, they're not super accurate in, as to what they are or were wearing back in 2016 or 17 when I was illustrating this um, book. Um, what else? Was it? I mean, they just had tons of uh, footage, too, from uh, their recovery and uh, footage of rescue being as incredibly charming and helpful and wonderful and amazing as he is. Um, if you haven't seen a video of him, I'm sure there's tons on, on YouTube. You can see the same videos that I watched uh, to get my inspiration about him and how amazing he has been uh, in, in helping uh, Jessica in particular. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I just, me my own part. What about your creative process? Do you design your art with paper and pencil or are you strictly digital? Tell us a little bit about this that. Is, yeah, this is all digital artwork. It's all done. At the time I was using Photoshop, I've since moved over to uh, Procreate on the iPad, the same iPad I'm coming to you on right now. Wow. And um, it's really, to, I try to make it look as organic as, you know, and painterly as possible. Uh, you know, like it uses, like I'm, I'd be using traditional watercolors, pencils, and papers, and so on. But I really try to use um, the digital tools as much as I can. Uh, it just suits my temperament. I can really, I can undo things. I can change colors really quickly. I can see a different versions of them. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's wonderful. I, I love working digitally. I do include some scanned textures and papers and paints, but for the most part, it's all, um, it's all digital. Fantastic. Anyone else from our panel about the creative process? Because we have a lot of writers in this group, whether they're adult writers or children writers um, in the classroom. Can you tell us a little bit more about your creative process? I'd be happy to, if you don't mind me chiming yeah. in. Yeah, go, go. So it's kind of funny, and I didn't even know that this would be what I ended up doing. I went into a full background in education, special education. I got my doctorate in education. I went to become a principal. But the entire time when I was growing up, instead of having a diary where I would write these journal entries, I wrote poems mm. my entire life. I, I still have all of my books where I wrote my poems. It's how I coped with things. And I always made rhyming poems unless they were haikus. But little did I know, it helped set me up to write these rhyming stories. So if you think about it, it's one long poem and it happened to be what I love to do. And so it was able to flow really easily out of me. I had this idea and I know that this isn't how a lot of people work, but I was thinking about it constantly. How do I want to say this? What do I want to say? And then I would like almost repeat it in my head over and over and over again, as if it was like almost a song. And when I went to put it on paper, it was a total of 30 minutes to just finally put it down. Of course I had to edit as we went along, but it was almost like, I've trained for this like my whole life, I got this. So it was a little different than everyone else's process, but 
it was something that was natural to me that I enjoy doing. And I, I love poetry. Thank you for sharing that. You know, boys and girls and ladies and gentlemen, um, when we talk about expression, um, you know, Dr. Green's talking about expressing herself through poetry, children's picture books is just one form of expression. So many of you probably listen to music. That's another way we can express how we feel. Um, maybe you've seen a movie before. Maybe you've seen a play on stage before. These are all different ways that we can express how we feel. We can take what people can't see inside of us and we can bring it outside and turn it into something where others can enjoy. Thank you for sharing that. Now, um, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to open up for question and answers in our last um, about 10, nine minutes of our program. So for anyone who has question and answers, go ahead and put those in the chat. Put those in the chat, please. Um, oh. We have a couple more people coming in, fantastic. Um, so far, we've just had a lot of really positive feedback on this panel and thanking you for showing up today and being a force of good in the community of awareness. So thank you to our panelists. Um, and let me see if anyone else, um, maybe Bahram, if you would like to share about your creative process or Kat um, while I'm getting questions. Oh, I would love to because like in a way English is not my first language I, my mother thing is uh, Persian or Farsi so I think very differently like I and and Persian is a very melodic and the the, the language is very different so you have to write in a almost like a poetry <laughs> so uh, so when I think about when I start thinking of a book and especially for example this one um, I saw that first page that I showed, that was the image I had. So I have one image in my head and then kind of I go around that and process that. And for me, in some ways, I think writing is a bit of a therapy, I would say. I kind of revisit past, I kind of think about it, I resolve that. If there's a, something that I'm feeling emotional, for example, I take a break, I go for a long walk, I like, for example, appreciating the beauty of trees. So I look around, there's a lot in Toronto. Um, so I kind of then do that and then come back and until the whole kind of narrative is completely unpacked in my head. And, and then I sit and write a first draft of it. After that, I think it's a painful process and kind of, I have to make a decision about every word, the meaning of it, the color of it, the rhythm of it, and if is it, is it the same standards to my Persian heritage, I would say. So um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a long process, but it is absolutely enjoyable. And for people who are, are willing to write that or planning to write for it, I think just go for it. I, I know it's gonna be a torture, but at the end, it's just going to be amazing, so. As, as Nike says, just do it, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes. Um, Allison asked a really great question in the chat that I would love I, to answer. Oh, yes. Okay, so I, go ahead. I, I can tell you what the question says. Um, and then I would love to hear how you're gonna, going to answer that. Um, yes, okay, thank you. Allison works. Um, she had said that she works in a public library and they are really trying to make a conscious effort to be more welcoming, safe and inclusive space for the entire community. And part of that is the language around disabilities and how it's ever evolving and changing. And they really want to 
say things in an appropriate way. So Kat, I'd love to hear you speak to that. So one thing I think it's really important to remember is that the word disability or disabled, they're not bad words. Um, they simply describe the experiences that we go through. You're right in saying that most people have their own preferences. I personally like being called disabled or person with a disability. Words like differently abled or words like special needs or exceptional, just because of, of what we live with, tend, tend to rub us the wrong way. But okay, say that um, one I more time. Want, I want you to repeat sure. that one these are the words that rub you the wrong way. I just want you to say it one more time. Yes. Things like differently abled or um, things like special needs, um, just because it, it undercuts just the reality of being disabled. Um, I think it's also important to remember that language changes over time and that's okay. Words that were maybe okay 10 years ago may not be now. Migraine's a great example. People used to say, I have migraines, but now the terminology is migraine because it's more of a disease and it doesn't make it seem less than it is. So I say I have chronic migraine as opposed to migraine. So great question, Allison. I love that you're, you know, wanting to use inclusive language and be open to that. Thank you. And I know as a publisher, we have been trying um, every time one of our new books come out, we have our authors read live on Zoom with an American Sign Language um, translator and interpreter. And so that we put that on YouTube um, to provide accessibility. And um, it's actually really hard to get translators to attend events um, because Thankfully, they're in the schools during the day working really hard with their students. Um, we have another question um, from Paul. Do any of our panelists feel that there may be a specific disability that is crying out to be explained for children? A disability that is crying out to be explained for children. I personally think that mental Mental health is one that's harder for children to understand because they can't see it. Uh, we are talking about the distinction between a physical disability, something that you can see, and something that um, you know people cannot see. But anyone else on the panel want to speak to that? I'm not on the panel, but I, I, I'm a guest. But I think of Alzheimer's and old age. Mm needs to be addressed to children. Beautiful, thank you. Beautiful. I really appreciate that, Beth, thank you. I, I wanna also add like a word, like the PTSD. So I write mostly like about people who are coming from war backgrounds or refugees that they have difficult circumstances. And now they are resettling in, for example, in North America or in other Western countries. and. And for children, so some of those realities are still like in their head. And so it needs to be explained, especially why, for example, that kids behave a bit differently. For example, hearing a plane flying about. So like that's that was something that happened in Toronto a few years ago um, that some kids, that, for example, coming from Syria, always showed a very different reaction of having a plane flying above. So and so and then the classmates couldn't really understand what was going on. So that is kind of some of the things like I, I think still needs to be kind of some attention needs to be paid for. 
Mm, I, I think that's important. And, you know, we live in um, the Metro Detroit area and my children go to a very diverse school and, um, you know, they have refugees in their school. And like you said, that's an experience that, um, that children who haven't had it, it's probably very hard for them to understand how certain things can trigger emotions. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Um, we have another question. Um, oh, hello, Shannon Carlson is from Michigan. That's very exciting. Um, another person said 100% agree. PTSD needs to be taught, um, especially those triggers. Um, we have a question. Can anyone speak to the difference between the language of being a disabled person and having a dis disability? Um, we do have some someone who is a grandparent in the group who says that her grandson um, uses a power wheelchair and he prefers to be called a disabled person and that's his choice. And um, but can anyone speak to the difference between those two terms? It's up to the person. Some some people prefer to be a disabled person and some prefer to, to live with a disability. It is, someone had mentioned um, the autistic community, some prefer autistic person, some prefer with autism. And I think that that is a great opportunity to ask people how they like to be referred to. Some people like to identify with their conditions, some do not. I think understanding that everyone has different preferences, even within the disability world, I think that's really important to understand. Um, I also want to add that I'm not sure if there's one condition we should teach children more about. I think um, teaching them about conditions that are different, whatever they may be, you know, are all, all important. And speaking as a parent and publisher, um, using books is a beautiful way to bridge these topics. You're cozy at nighttime, you have a book in front of you. Um, usually the adult reading is mentally and physically exhausted, but you have the story and you just follow the words on the page and it transports that child you're reading to, to a different time, to a different place, to a different experience. So they can really start practicing empathy and acceptance and being curious about the world. And I think most importantly, we wanna encourage our children to ask questions and to be curious about others. Because I believe that that curiosity and that empathy is going to raise our next generation of kind and caring individuals. And it's really going to make an impact on our world. We have a lot of adults in here. We have a lot of classrooms who have their cameras off. Children, you are the ones we are looking forward to seeing in our future as leaders and adults. We are in charge of teaching them. We really are. We are going to wrap up our panel. Do I have any other panelists that would like to share any final thoughts? I'd like to just say one point because I agree with what you just said so much so. And that's one of the reasons why I also wrote this book is because I have found that when it comes to differences in disabilities, a lot of times it's the adults who don't or are nervous to bring this up to children. They're not sure the right words to say, how do I explain this properly? And so these books are tools to help adults explain this or read or have that conversation open up that conversation with children. And that could really be incredible. Dr. Green, someone wanted to know if you're still being teased about your disability at this point in your life. What's interesting is that no matter what, when people bring up my ear, it shoots me in the heart and I have to take a deep breath 
And then I have learned to utilize that as a teachable moment. They just want to know, even though it might hurt that they just said something, that's not their fault. They're interested. They don't know and they want to learn more. So although I may not be getting teased, I get questions about it all the time. And so what I have learned to do is I take a deep breath and I smiling, tell them all about it. And they end up accepting me, understanding. And this is a real true story, but this little girl named Emmy that I wrote about this story, cerebral palsy, she is a real girl, seven years old. She goes to a public school. She walks using leg braces and she has glasses. She walks on her tippy toes. And when the year started, the school year started, she was being bullied by a new boy in her class. And one day he said something to her and she hands him an extra copy of Completely Emmy. And she said, I think you just need to read about me. And the next day he came to her, apologized for what he was saying and how he was treating her. And now they're friends. It melted my heart to hear that, but that's what this is about. It's about teaching about these differences and understanding and sticking up for yourself and accepting yourself first. And it took a big girl, seven years old, I couldn't even believe it. It took me well into my twenties to accept myself. But for her, she was able to stand up for herself, give someone this book and change that dynamic. Wow, I, I, don't, I think that's a great way to sign off a beautiful story. Um, and I just am so thankful to each of our authors here. We will be sending out an email with links to their books. You can find them at local bookstores. You can find them in your libraries. Um, we would love for you to check out their stories and dive a little bit deeper into this awareness of what they're sharing. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time. It, it melts my heart that you have spent this 44 minutes with us and with the open heart and the open mind to learn more about different people and to accept people for who they are. So let's give a big round of applause, a goodbye and a thank you to all of our creatives here today. Thank you everyone. Yay, thanks so much. All the kindness in your messages. Thank you very much everyone. Have a great day. Cardinal Rule Press offers a variety of support to authors, booksellers, librarians, and families. Find out more at cardinalrulepress.com.